is I don't invest with a new syndicator unless they've been introduced to me by somebody in my community who I know, like, and trust who has already invested with that operator. Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer, with me today. I'm excited to have Jim Pfeiffer. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So a little bit about Jim. He's one of the founders of Left Field Investors, and he is the host of the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Uh, Left Field Investors is a group of uh, a group dedicated to educating and assisting like-minded investors negotiate the nuances of passive investing landscape in the world of syndications, uh, which I think is really important because so many people have no clue what it really is. I mean, you know, people that listen to this podcast do, but most people have no clue. It's funny how many you talk to. So Jim's a former financial advisor, became frustrated with the one path fits all approach. Uh, you know, no, known in the financial services industry. And Jim now concentrates on investing in real assets that produce cash flows, committed to sharing his knowledge with others who are interested in learning. So with that said, Jim, why don't you give our listeners a bit more kind of about your background and, and then we'll dive into what you're doing today. Sounds great. Uh, so basically, I, I think I'm on career number four or five, depending on how you count it. So I started out in, in business and uh, worked in a, as a reinsurance underwriter for 11 years. And then I went and became a, a high school teacher for a while where I was teaching personal finance, basically life skills. Hmm. Then I was a financial, uh, financial advisor. And then I got into real estate. And so along my journey, it seems it was always education was always involved. You know, when, when I was working for businesses, I was I went into mentor roles and, and training roles pretty quickly. Uh, as a teacher, obviously, I'm educating. As a financial advisor, I was educating. And now, um, you know, left field investors, what we do is we we help people figure out how to how to navigate the world of, of syndications. And so the education path was was always there. And as when I was a financial advisor, you know, my whole career, 25 years I'd done, you know, I, I, when I first got a job, I couldn't wait to put money in my 401k. Like there was a six month waiting period and I was like chomping at the bit, ready to pile it in. And I maxed it out the whole time I worked there. And I did the same thing as a teacher. And then when I was a financial advisor, you know, they, they kind of start over and teach you about money. And I thought I knew everything about stocks, mutual funds, all that, and how, how to make money. And at the same time, uh, we became accidental landlords because our son was born and we built a house. It was 2008. And we couldn't sell our um, our old house, so we became landlords. And that's where I started really getting into real estate. And it was parallel. I was learning about finance, true finance, and I was in real estate. And so what that led me to learn was that although they were the financial advising uh, people were teaching me about uh, the stock market and money and all that, but paired with getting into real estate, I realized that most of what I was doing as a financial advisor was paper assets which now I'm pretty confident is basically speculation, right? Because you get no current benefit. You're just, you buy something, piece of paper, you hold it and you hope when you sell it, someone will buy it for more than you paid for it, right? Yeah. That's, that's speculation where real assets like real estate, they produce a current benefit, cash flow, 
And then maybe you get some appreciation. You probably do on the back end, but you get a current benefit. And to me, that's investing. And that's what I learned as a financial advisor when I was doing my real estate. And so then I became an active real estate investor and, and I kind of went part-time on the financial advising. And then I got completely out of it about the same time I discovered passive investing. And I realized as I was an active investor, I was buying single family homes, small multis. The biggest one I had was 22 units. Um, none of these properties cash flowed like I had proformed them, right? None of them, because yeah. I was a bad asset manager. But I was fortunate to do it in a time when the market was just going up. And no matter what you did, you made money. So I, I made a lot of money on my active real estate. And then I found passive and I realized I could hire a professional asset manager to do the asset managing for me. And my results got much better. My stress went down, you know, and, and so I, I found where I want to be. And that's investing passively in, in mostly real estate syndications and related stuff. It's funny. Most people, when they, when they dive into, they think about real estate investing and a lot of people hear it, they go, Hey, that sounds great. And so they want to dive in the initial thought always, or maybe not always, but mostly, mostly is I'm going to buy a single family house. I'm going to buy a duplex. I'm going to buy a fourplex, something like that. And then you run your pro forma. It always looks way more attractive than what yeah. it ends up happening. Oh, I'm going to cash flow 800 bucks a month. Uh, really? Well, we'll hold that thing for five years. What did you actually cash for? Well, $25 a month on average. Right. You know, so it's, it's amazing though, uh, that that's, that's, that's always, it seems like almost always the case. Why do you think that is the path, the path that you went, uh, the path that so many people go, why do you think that's the path versus investing in a syndication and being passive and continuing to do, you know, a lot of people want to do it because, oh, I got a great job. They, they like their job. They maybe make a lot of money or they're getting ready to retire. And so they want to buy that duplex and that uh, whatever. Yeah. But why, why do that versus the passive route? Why do you think people do it? Well, they, they think it's passive. Right. When I when I started buying turnkey single family homes, I was told it was passive. Oh, I read books yeah. saying it was passive and I was confident it was passive and it wasn't passive. Right. Passive is like for a syndication. I vet the sponsor. I look at the deal. I look at the market. I do all kinds of work up front. I send my wire. I'm done. I do nothing after that except receive hopefully cash distributions and get email updates on the property. But on a single family home, even if it's turnkey, once I buy the property, then I'm constantly, you know, fighting with the property manager about this expense or that expense, or do they evict this person or not? And, you know, it, it's just, you're, it's hard to find good property managers. So what I think what people imagine is you're going to be passive and these things are just going to keep, you know, throw out this cash flow, but they just don't. Because as you said, things come up. If you hold it for five years, you're going to have to get a new air conditioner unit or a new roof or this or that. And most people, you know, when I was doing it, I'd put 5% vacancy, right? And that, that was really the only, I didn't have all yeah. the other reserve funds that, that you do. And so I think you could probably, you can make money being an active real estate investor, but you have to realize you're active. You have to understand that you need a competitive advantage. If you're just going to be a passive guy with, with turnkey and a few multifamilies, and you don't know the market any better than anyone else, you don't have any skills that are going to set you apart, then you don't have a competitive advantage. And I realized that's what I was missing. So then I decided I'm going to hire professional asset managers whose full-time job is to manage these assets, to figure this stuff out, to handle the property manager, to do all that stuff. And my returns have been better than they were mm -hmm. on the uh, active stuff. And I think 
you know, if, if you really have a competitive advantage, you can absolutely beat the returns of, of passive investing in syndications. Absolutely. But if you don't have that something that sets you apart, you're you're not going to beat you're not going to beat the returns you can get by hiring a professional asset manager. You know what? I also now I used to write out my own contracts or or you know review my own contracts. I used to do my own taxes. I don't I hire professionals to do that because they do it better than I do. I am not a tax person. I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, and so I don't write contracts. I'm not an attorney. So why would I try to manage my own real estate unless I wanted to do it as a full-time or this was going to be my you know, vocation, but yep. I, I'm not that. And so I do, I do passive. So I think that's what people have to realize is you really have to understand, are you going to be passive? Or are you going to be active? And do you really want to manage a single family home? And also how do you scale that? But your original question that I kind of went around circles, why do people start there? Because that's what they know, right? You say, if you walk out your front door and, and you start talking finance with your neighbors, they're going to say 401ks, IRAs, all this other stuff. And, and you're going to say, well, you know, I'm looking into real estate syndications and they're going to understand what real estate is, but syndications, what? That sounds risky. That's crazy. What is that? So that's, I think, and that part of left field investors, we're trying to tell and show and the, the, the regular people, you can do this, this passive investing in real estate syndications. You can get into it without the entry being accidental landlord or single family homes. You just have to know about it. So if you don't know about it, you can't do it. Yeah, a tons of tons of great points. I mean, you know, obviously about that. You know, I look back. I mean, I bought I bought properties. You know, kind of same time. Like I was buying single family duplexes, fourplexes between two thousand eight and twenty thirteen. Just constantly, the prices were great. You know, rents were rising. Everything was working in my favor. And I still look back and I still look at those returns. And some of them worked out really well. And and I was active. Like that's all I did. Right? It was we were managing our properties. We had maintenance people. We had the whole the whole work. But you still look at the profits and like, man, that one property that has the roof that, that leaks and so you got to replace the roof and then and then the water heater goes out the next year and then the furnace goes out six months after that. And then, uh, you know, you got to evict the tenant and, and, then, and, then, yeah. and you're like, crap, you know, we're supposed to be cash flowing $600 a month. But when in fact, we actually cash flowed negative 400 a month for the last four years, you know, so that, right. that hurts. The risk burden is on you as an active investor. You know, the tenant slips and falls, who gets sued? You get sued. The, the you know, the, the risk factor is 100% on you. Now, with a passive investment, the risk factor is no longer on you. The only risk factor you have as a, as a limited partner is what? It, it's it's your investment, right? right. That, that's all, all you can lose is what you put into it. And that, that's a great point. You're not going to get sued. And and th that's why you, you, and you get multiple income streams, right? So you're not just in one, you're in several. And mm -hmm. if one goes bad, that stinks. I don't like that, but it doesn't sink the whole boat. Where in your example, now you're negative 400 cash on that house. Well, you're, you're positive 400 on the other one. So great way to go. Your two properties now broke even, right? right? And you're happy about that because you lost so much money on the one. And that doesn't really happen in syndication investing. You know, you have professionals who are at managing these assets. They also, there's a lot of reasons they have to do a good job, right? Because they're professionals and all this. But also if they have capital calls or bad deals, they're not going to get investors for their next deal. So yeah. their incentive, if you pick the right partners, is to make sure 
that you get excellent returns so that you come back to them. And so I think that helps a lot too. There's a lot of built-in protection for the passive investor in syndications, but it all starts with finding the right business partner, the sponsor, the syndicator, and making sure you're working with a quality operation. And that is, I think, the single most important thing uh, as a passive investor is to find quality partners because then you take fraud and, and mismanagement and those things off the table, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you've invested in over 95 passive syndications, uh, lots of different things, uh, multifamily, mobile homes, you know, a lot, a lot of different commercial real estate, triple net leases, um, all kinds of stuff, ATMs, even Bitcoin mining, you know, uh, coffee farms, like all kinds of stuff that you've passively invested in or been part of. What are, what are some like, you, you mentioned the sponsor, you know, vetting the sponsor, making sure that you feel comfortable and good with, with who they are. But what are some of the other things you're really looking for as you're looking at some of these investments and going, okay, I, I'm ready to hit the trigger on this apartment or I'm ready to hit the trigger on this assisted living or whatever it might be? Yeah, that, that's a great question. The first thing everyone wants to know is how do you find sponsors and how do you vet sponsors? And, mm, and so there's a lot a of, there's question. a lot of, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff on that. And and so before I answer your question on the asset class, I'll start with that, if you don't mind, yeah. and because I've, I've been through a journey, right? And now I've, now I, I don't know that I have it figured out, you know, talk to me three years from now, I'll probably have a different way to do it. But when I first started um, in passive investing, I went to a, a seminar and there were, there were a bunch of syndicators there and I had a, uh, old IRA burning a hole in my pocket, self-directed. And, and so I just, as soon as I met a syndicator, I'm like, here's a check. Can I invest mm -hmm. with you? Can I, and I didn't do any vetting. I didn't know what I was doing. I got into some bad deals, some good deals. It was just all luck. And I was just trying, I just had to take action. I had to try this out. And I thought it was safe to do it with retirement account. Cause I could always make up for that. Um, sure. But nothing more horrible, but that was part one. Then the next thing I did was I'm like that. Okay. That wasn't the right way to do it. That's just throwing money at people. You don't know. Yeah. The shotgun so then, approach. Right. Right. So then I started listening to podcasts, reading books, and I would interview somebody for 30 minutes after a podcast. I'd call them up and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you and the sponsor. And I'd get some information from them. Then they'd send me a deal. Then I'd have, you know, 15 minute conversation with them again about the deal. And then I'd have to wire them $50,000 after having talked to them for less than an hour. And it was a lot better than the first approach where I just sure. was throwing money at them. But I still, I wasn't sure. Are they a good operator? Are they a good marketer? Are they a good podcaster? Are they a good asset manager? And the only way to find that out is to wait five years and see if it worked or not. Yeah. So that was the second way I did it. And then once I joined or started a community and then joined communities like Left Field Investors and others, then I came up with a new approach. And this is the one that's been working for me is I don't invest with a new syndicator unless they've been introduced to me by somebody in my community who I know, like, and trust who has already invested with that operator, hmm. right? They don't have to have gone full cycle, just invested with them and had some time in it because then trust transfers, right? So if it's someone I trust and they trust somebody else, now I can trust that operator. I still do all the same due diligence on them, but I'm starting, you know, a hundred steps ahead. And it's really been powerful. You know, I still, I don't want to miss somebody, a, a new operator or someone I didn't know just because they don't know anybody in my network. So those just take a lot longer, but this is a great way to kind of just jumpstart some relationships. So that's kind of the, the sponsor angle. And then your, your actual question was about asset classes, I think, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I love that approach. You know, you, 
it's just like a lot of things. I mean, anytime I'm looking for a contractor, I'm looking for a property manager, I'm looking for whatever. I'm trying to base my decision on some of the referrals that I got. I'm usually not just going to Google and doing a search and saying, who's the best? No, I'm saying who in my network knows who's the best and who's had experiences right. with them. And so, yeah, why why would you not do that with the syndicator? Right. And And that's what you do with an attorney, with a CPA, with yeah. all these professionals that I now work with, I don't just go to the yellow pages, yeah. right? I talk to my community. I talk to people who've used them. And it's a say, why wouldn't we do that with operators? It just seems yeah. common sense. I didn't for a long time, but now it just seems like common sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, vetting a sponsor. You found the sponsor, you vet the sponsor. What else? So then you got to figure out asset classes, right? Most people start in multifamily because that's understandable. Everyone knows that everyone's lived in, most people have lived in an apartment or something like it. Hmm. But then there, there's a ton of asset classes out there. And what I try to do is I look at everything from diversification and multiple income streams, right? Yeah. Most people have a job and maybe their spouse has a job. And so they maybe have two income streams and maybe they have some stocks that put out some dividends or something. So maybe they have three. But as you said, I'm in you know 95 plus deals, so I have 95 income streams, right? So if something happens to one, I'm probably okay on the other. So diversification means I want to look, I want to diversify by sponsor, so I'm not all in with one one company uh, market. I don't want to be just in Dallas, right, or Phoenix or whatever is hot. And then asset class, and that's what you were asking about. I want to be in different asset classes because they're all going to perform differently based on the market. Like self storage seems to do well in downtimes and uptimes. So maybe that's for everything, but different, you know, now that the there's uncertainty in the economy, you're looking for shorter tail type um, investments. That's the ATMs, right? You get your capital back quicker. So your investment is de-risked. So what I try to do is I, I also admittedly, I chase this shiny object, right? That's a lot of us do that is, Ooh, Bitcoin money. That sounds fun. Let's do that. <laughs> um, and so what I do with the new asset classes is I try to maybe test them out with smaller amounts of capital. And one of the ways I do this is I do group investing through a company uh, called TribeVest. And they basically, it's just a platform that makes group investing easy. It's, it's just so you can do your LLC, your banking, and everyone can just submit their cash without me having to chase them down for checks. But what that does is, let's say I want to get into Bitcoin mining, but I'm uncertain about it. Well, the minimum is $50,000. $50,000, you got to be certain. But if I go in with 10 people and we form a, an investing tribe, now I can get into deals like that for $5,000. And so that's a great way to diversify, but also test it out. And once and once it gets going and I'm like, okay, this is good, then maybe I'll put in my own 50,000. So there's lots of ways to do it. You have to be careful not to jump on every new asset class that comes out there because I, I've, I've done that. But if you're careful and you vet them and as you understand, hey, here's how this business works. You know, a new one is car washes. A lot of people are talking about, well, yeah. car washes have two different parts to them. They have the real estate and it's an operating business. So there's different things you have to evaluate, but you also get a bunch of awesome tax benefits. And if you're working with an operator who has some experience or has hired someone who has experience, then you have a better chance. And so I try to diversify among asset classes. I probably do it a little bit too much because that's kind of where I get some of the fun is doing different stuff. And I think really, if you want to be efficient and really make money in real estate, you got to do mostly just boring stuff. And so I do set aside five or 10% for speculation and, and new stuff just to keep it in, entertaining and interesting. 
Um, but you don't have to sh chase the shiny object all the time. But I do believe you need to find more asset classes than just multifamily and self-storage. And there's plenty out there. Yeah, good, good a lot of good points. Um, what's what's your favorite right now? What's your like flavor of the day? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, like picking your favorite child, right? But um, <laughs> I, I still think self-storage seems to be um, a, a pretty good place to be because uh, in downtimes, when people are moving, they still need self-storage. Mm. I, um, I also like some of the different triple net options that I'm seeing in medical office or industrial, because a lot of those, they're triple net leases, which means all of the expense is on the tenant, yeah. which means all of the inflation is on the tenant, right? Because as costs go up for repairs and things like that, the tenant is paying for it. So in those long-term triple net leases, they, they might be five, 10, 15 year leases. And they usually have like a two or 3% bump. That's not enough for inflation, but the underlying costs are all on the operator. So it's a great way to keep getting those rent bumps, but not have to worry about inflation eating away at your returns. Yeah. And that's one thing that I like about it and don't like is just exactly what you said. I don't like the fact that we might only be getting two or 3% or whatever was negotiated rent bumps. And so we have that locked in for, you know, let's just say, so I've got a perfect one. I mean, we did a, a triple net lease with the medical, medical um, supply and I guess R and D company. And, uh, we signed this triple net lease sounded great. 3% uh, rent increases. Well, now inflation's ripping, you know, so high, I would love to be at, I would love to renegotiate their lease cause I could get more, but I can't, you know, they're locked in yeah. for seven years. Now, like you said, though, the benefit is property taxes, the, the utility bills, you know, the, all that kind of stuff, the maintenance they're paying for it. That's a triple net lease. They have to pay for my insurance costs that have gone up. They have to pay for all of that. So I'm not really losing out. I'm just maybe not quite gaining as high, as yeah. much as I would like. We're a multifamily. Um, man, I can raise those rents pretty quick at the, at the most it's a year and I can raise yeah. my rents. Yeah. And, and that's why you diversify, right? Yeah. So I feel like right now with all the uncertainty that I might lose a little bit, as you said, on the upside from being in the triple net lease area. But I know that that is fairly reliable income because a lot of those are companies you're dealing with the triple net leases, right? So they're they're more yeah. apt to pay. And so you have less delinquency and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're not getting the big rent increases. So you try to be in both, right? And, and that that's where diversification uh, helps. Well, you're not, and you're not losing, right? You, you said you said losing, but you're ga you're just gaining less than what you sure, yes. otherwise potentially could have. But where you're de-risking yourself is that, yeah, maybe rent bump rent bumps have been great in apartments lately. But will that continue as inflation continues to rip? And we're sitting here getting expenses are going up nine plus percent. Is rent going to continue at the rate it's been, or is rent going to slow down? And maybe it's only one or two percent, or maybe it's even negative. And now you've got the downside risk that's happening in an apartment building where you've locked into a seven year term on this, uh, you know, whatever commercial space of some sort with a triple net lease. So you got, you got gains there you've got the downside in the apartment or the self-storage or, you know, you name it. Right. And, and that's why it, it's about constructing a portfolio. You know, I think 
part of what you, there are things you can take from the Wall Street world into syndications. You know, as an ex-financial advisor, I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that world. But when you think of constructing a portfolio, dollar cost averaging, all of those you can take over and do in this, you know, we, we kind of call it a community personal finances is where you're you're using your community, you're investing in maybe syndications, but you're getting help from your community uh, for, for vetting sponsors and things like that. But you can use some of these conventional personal finance tactics in community personal finance. So, you know, where I'm diversifying, I am um, looking at, you know, portfolio construction. So I'm not just in one asset class, I'm in multiple yeah. asset classes. I'm, you know, people ask me now, Jim, are you still investing with the uncertainty in the economy? I am. I'm changing things a little bit, but I look at that as dollar cost averaging. I continue mm -hmm. to buy because I can't time the market. I don't know if we're at the bottom or the top. So I'm just going to keep allocating my capital because I don't want it all in cash. And I, I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines. So all of those kind of conventional personal finance, I think, can transfer. It's just the underlying asset that might be different. So you were a financial advisor for for many years. Um, I mean, I, I I pretty much know why you said, hey, I'm out. We've already basically explained that. Maybe you want to dive into that a little bit more. But I also want to know, you know, financial advisor, what? What you talk to, so here's, here's my, my thing is it's almost the kiss of death when somebody says, I got to, let me talk to my financial advisor before I invest in this. I'm going to get back to you. And, and I've said it before to people when they say that as well, sounds good. That that's fine. Go ahead. You know, I, I'm applaud you for wanting to, to do that, but here's what's going to happen. You know, they're going to tell you, no, they're going to tell you it's risky. They're going to tell you all these things and you're not going to invest. And every time that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, why do you think that is? Why is a financial advisor giving bad advice? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, I think the average financial advisor probably doesn't think it's bad advice. They probably think it's risky and, and you shouldn't do it because. And, but why the, would they think it's risky when it's pretty evident when the research shows that commercial real estate is the best risk adjusted return in the market by far exceeding stocks and yeah. you know, mutual well, form and stuff. They, they don't know that because they don't do the research because they're in their Wall Street bubble. All they know are paper assets. So they're not even looking at that. That's that's one. So it's Two, just it's it's more night being just naive. And they, they yeah, believe that what they have is a, a superior product and they think that real estate's risky just because they're naive about it. Yeah, that's part of it. Also, you know, that, that's kind of the altruistic view. There's also for sure, if, if you're going to take 50 grand and invest it with, with, with a syndicator, then that's 50 grand that I'm not going to be able to invest for you. And that's money that's out of my pocket, right? So there's, there's some self-interest there. There's also, as a financial advisor, you, you don't get paid to help someone invest in real estate. Right, because you don't make any commissions or, or anything off of that. Maybe some a planning fee, but you don't get paid for that. You're also not licensed to give that kind of advice, so you can't say, "Oh yeah, Todd, that that's a great idea. Go do that," because you're not licensed to recommend that investment. That doesn't mean you have to say no. But then, what are you going to say? You can say, "Well, I'm not licensed to to advise you on that." Well, what kind of financial advisor are you? You can't even give me advice, hmm. right? So when I'm talking to people about, "Hey, go find a financial advisor." I still think it's useful, but you got to find one that 
invest in real estate themselves. The same thing. Yeah. I, my CPA invests in real estate. Why? Because I want a CPA that's doing what I'm doing. Yeah. It's the same with financial advisor. I now have a great financial advisor. He invests in real estate. He's a real estate syndication investor. So he understands. And so he builds all of that into my portfolio. When he's looking at my overall portfolio, he models that and puts that in there because he's not afraid of it. He has a, an abundance mindset. It is a very, very hard job being a financial advisor. And you, I had then a scarcity mindset where I was like, I am going to go after this client. I need every penny from this client because I'm just you know, struggling to put food on the table. It's very hard, especially when you're starting out. So I think it's a mixture of fear of, you know, I don't know this crazy, you know, alternative stuff, right? That's how we got the name left field investors, because all of my former financial advising colleagues, whenever I would talk about real estate or syndications, they'd say, oh man, that's way out there in left field. So scary. I'm like it's the place you live. It's the place you go to work, the place you go buy something, the place you go to eat, the place you store your stuff. That's all of it, right? It's real and it produces income, but they don't, they don't get that. And so you know, my recommendation is find a, an advisor, whether it's a CPA or an attorney or um, a financial advisor that are doing the same things you are, that understand what you're doing. If you're into real estate syndications, find those advisors that are also doing real estate syndications, because otherwise, how are they going to advise you? Because they don't know anything about it. And so yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. And it doesn't mean financial advisors are trying to cheat you or, or anything like that. They just don't know. And they have no incentive to find out because they are just so wrapped up in their own business. They don't look outside of it. That's yeah, my they've opinion. got their own products and that's it. They don't. Yeah. And, you know, it's, a, it's such a highly regulated industry, but wouldn't it be a better thing for financial advisors to be able to get to, to have that part of their business to get consulting fees for, you know, still consulting on these real estate investments, analyzing them, looking at them and going, Hey, you know, I looked over these financial numbers. These look pretty good. You know, uh, here are the key things you need to look at when you're looking at this type of investment. Yeah. And then they just have a fee that they charge yeah. you, right? And say, you know, whether it's real estate, whether it's Bitcoin mining, whether it's the coffee, uh, you know, company, what it doesn't matter what it is, a tech tech company, whatever. Wouldn't it be better that like, it would? It seems like that would be more common sense, but they're incentivized and paid to. Uh, to put you into stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, basically. Yep. And, and, they're, and they're also, like you said, highly regulated. So there were things that I couldn't do or say that I wanted to as a financial advisor. Mm. I had to give up license. Like when I first started doing some of the uh, deals I was doing, I had to give up some of my licenses just so I could invest in, in a different way. Like with a group, if I want to do group investing, I couldn't invest with with uh, certain people, clients, or and it was just a nightmare. All the regulations and and things it really makes it complicated. And so, you know, financial advisors have it tough. They make it tougher on themselves by not trying to branch out and and get into new stuff. So yeah. I just think you, you got to find an advisor who's willing to advise you where you're at, not advise you where they want you to be. Yeah, I think it's super smart advice what you said earlier. Does your financial advice? I'm not against financial advisors either. I've got many friends. I've got, quite frankly, I've got several of my uh, investors that are financial advisors. I've got quite a few of, of my past investors are financial advisors. So I'm not against them, but that's what you got to find. Find financial advisors that have alternative investments that sure they're, they're advising you on 
the stock market and the bonds and all the stuff that they have access to, but they also invest passively in other alternative assets, real estate, Bitcoin, whatever it might be, but they're not just doing exactly what the system tells them to do. Those are the, those are the people that in my opinion, in your opinion, you want to be advising you. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise you're, you're stuck in a certain space, right? They might not be able to advise you, Hey, this is a good deal because again, licenses and things like that. But as long as you you come to them and say, hey, I'm going to take 50 grand from you that you're getting paid to manage, and I'm going to put it in this deal over here. And you just want them to say, that makes sense. I, I'm not going to advise you on the deal. But that that action yeah. where you're trying to get some cash flow from real assets, that's a great thing to do. You should do more of that, even though it comes at the expense of, of me, right? And, and that's right. the abundance mentality that's that will lead exactly. to more business for them in the end. And and that's what my financial advisor does. And that that's why he's so successful, I think, because yeah. he realizes that he's not making as much money off of me as he could because I'm so into real estate. But he helps me with other things. And guess what? I recommend him constantly. That's right? what I was so just going to say. But who's, building a, business. who's a raving yeah. fan of his? You yeah. are a raving fan of his because you know you can tell anybody about him and they're, that he's not going to go, hey, whoa, 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 whatever, whatever Jim told you, just ignore that. This is right. what you do. He's got rave, he's got a raving fan. He keep, creates more raving fans and he creates more business and it all works out just great. Um, red flags, red flags that you look out for as you're uh, vetting the sponsor, looking at the asset class, looking at the key, uh, the underwriting metrics, presentation, whatever. What are some big red flags that you really, uh, that jump out in your mind? I don't want to be anybody's guinea pig. So if you're switching asset classes, if you're a multifamily operator mm. and you decide you're going to do self-storage, I'm out unless. So first of all, I'm out. But if you say go hire someone who's going to run your self-storage operation, who's been doing self-storage for 30 years, then I might watch your first couple of deals. I'm not investing in them. I might watch and then I might be in. So right. I've got the way, the times I've lost money in this business are when I'm, doing something with somebody who's their first time trying a new asset class. It's a disaster. So that that's a no-go for me. Um, the other thing is I test communication because this sounds trivial, but if you're not going to communicate with me effectively before I wire you 50 grand, there is no chance you're going to communicate with me after that. And these are illiquid long-term investments that are completely out of your control once you send that wire. So if you have someone who's not going to respond to you or tell you how things are going, you're never going to know what's going on with that asset. And I don't care if it's performing awesome or horrible. If I don't know how it's performing, I'm a frustrated investor. So yeah. I want nothing to do with you. So before I invest, I test you, right? I, you send me a deal. I'm going to ask you 20 questions, even if I don't have any questions. Hmm. And I'm going to see, do you respond in a timely fashion? And do you respond in a quality manner? I don't want to hear, oh, those an I answered those in the webinar. Great. I'm sure you did because I watched the webinar, right? But I want to know from you, do you know your own business plan and things like that? So communication is key. And then I think when you get into the deal and you're analyzing an, an actual deal, I think one of the big red flags is, is just rent growth, right? Is it realistic if they're, if they're saying it's going to be a 8% or 10% rent growth in year one? How do you do that? right? All the leases don't start when you buy the property. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it makes no sense. Now, if, if it's Phoenix, right, where rent's growing 20% a year, and you want to put a 
10% rent bump in year two and a 3% in year one, okay, I can understand that. You can explain that away. So I, I look for just, you have to the, you look at the rent, make sure it makes sense for the market and yep. ask questions, right? And, and it's the same with things like economic vacancy, which has a bunch of different components. We won't deep, go deep into it, but you know, so many people just put a 5% for vacancy. Okay, but there's a lot of, there's loss to lease. There's a lot of other things that go into that. And so I just check that out. And, and one of the last things I do on the deal level, and this is just kind of the first screen, is I check the, the pro forma taxes, right? Because mm. generally, it depends on which state you're in, but generally, once you uh, buy a new deal, the taxes are going to reset at that new yeah. property value. Way up. So yeah, so if your pro forma has the same tax burden yeah. that it did, you know, in the year you bought it, then I'm going to ask you questions about that. So those are some just basic red flags. The first two were kind of overall sponsor ones. And the other ones are kind of in, inside the deal. One of the things that I look for in, I, 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 you know, help a lot of people out in their underwriting. And, and one of the things I look for is the reserves. And are, do you have capital reserves that you're setting aside? Because I feel like that's so often that it didn't, a sponsor will quote unquote juice the investor returns because they're putting less money out there for the reserves. And yeah. that can't, they can only get you into trouble. Especially <laughs> now, right? I mean, I think the last five or 10 years reserves maybe weren't as important because yeah, everything just kept going up and, and you just kept refining, right? Just refinance. If I don't have enough money, just refi. That's not the case anymore. Reserves are critical now. So I think that's a great point. That, that's a really good one to look at. Um, okay. Well, it, it's been, uh, man, uh, I could keep going on because I, I love the attitude that you have about, <laughs> about this. I, I have the same kind of passion uh, of, about just kind of the market in general and what's going on and, and, you know, we talked about the, you know, everybody wants to buy a single family or a duplex and why that is just like, there's, there's yeah. so many things here. So I can keep going on and on and on, but um, I got to ask you a couple last questions. Cause we do have to eventually, you know, wrap this thing up, maybe <laughs> right. have you back on. Perfect. Um, so what's a favorite book that you're reading right now? Um, well, my favorite book is The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke. I, mm. I can't say I'm reading it right now, except I, I do. Um, I read that periodically. I flip through it because it's such a great book for a beginner and for someone who's been in it for a long time. It, it takes you from what is a syndication all the way through. How do you evaluate a deal? How do you vet a sponsor? It's just got everything in it. It's, it's a fantastic book. That's good. That's good. I've now read the book. I've had Brian on the show. Brian, Brian's a great guy. So yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a great book. Uh, what's a mistake that you've made and how can our uh, audience learn from it? Well, a mistake I made was uh, when we talked about it, I think the biggest mistake I made was uh, in partnering with someone who's getting into something they didn't know what they didn't know because their first, and the best example was this guy mm -hmm. was a, uh, a turnkey operator in Dallas and the Dallas market just changed, right? The houses were too expensive. He couldn't do it anymore. So he decided he was going to do office buildings and CBD farming. And I'm like, well, he was great at turnkey. So yeah, this will be, be great. And, and I, I went in and that was, that was a, a mistake. You, you don't want to be someone's Guinea pig as we talked about earlier. So my main piece of advice is find a quality operator who's experienced in what they're doing. They don't have to have been a syndicator for 30 years but they have to have had some experience in, in that asset class. 
so that makes you comfortable that they know what they're doing because you don't want to have you don't want to be a test case yeah yeah i i agree that's that's a rule for my own business actually we just did a retail uh shopping strip center we're multifamily guys that's not our area of expertise but what we did is partnered with somebody that that's their expertise they've done a ton of them they're really good at it and so we partnered with them on it because that's just not who we are. Could I do, could we do it? Maybe, but we're going to probably make a ton of mistakes along the way if it's just us and that's going to only reduce our return. So why not give a little bit of that GP away, right? Why not give a little bit of the ownership away and get the expert and do it right? Yeah. uh, And and that's what, you know, if I, as an investor, I would invest with you in that deal because of how you did it. Right. But if you just did it on your own, there's no no way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially in this late of a cycle, right? Where you just don't have that much room for margin. And I don't even yeah. know if any part of the cycle I would say yes, but you just don't have a lot of room for margin and error right now. It just it just isn't isn't happening. Um all right. Last question before we wrap. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? So when I think about this, you know. I think the first is is multiple income streams. It just protects yourself, right? If you have a job and you lose it, you lose your only income stream, you're you're out of luck. Uh, but I have multiple income streams and that protects you. So that, that's number one. Uh, number two, using uh, what they call infinite banking or whatever you want to call it, the life insurance and tax strategies to enhance and boost your returns. So if you have both the life insurance and you have the proper tax strategies, it's amazing what that does to your actual wealth because taxes are the number one eroder of wealth yeah. and the infinite banking strategy allows you to earn two returns with $1. So you're, you're just magnifying everything there. And the last thing is the thing I'm most passionate about. It's community. I don't believe that you can be a successful passive investor in real estate syndications, unless you have a network or a community. And Yes, it doesn't have to be left field investors. I'm biased. I think we have a great group, but there's other groups out there. I'm a member of multiple communities and I get something from each one of them. But as I said earlier, if you walk out your front door and you're talking to your neighbors, they're not going to know what real estate syndications are. So where do you go to get that education? You can't watch TV and watch ads, right? Those are all stock market and, and that kind of stuff. There's nowhere you can go to get this education. And I can tell you in the past few years, since I've been a member of these groups, I've become a much, much better investor. And so I highly recommend, again, it doesn't have to be left field investors, but join a community or several and find one where the culture of that community matches your personality and you will see your success go through the roof. Love it. Love it. Man, Jim, this has been uh, a lot of fun. How can our listeners get in touch with you, learn about, you know, learn about what you got going on, listen to your podcast, that type of stuff. Yeah. So you can go to our website, leftfieldinvestors.com. There's our podcast there. There's a subscribe button if you want to get our newsletters. And if you'd like to connect with me personally, I talk to probably three or four investors every day, people that are new to our community. Um, You can email me, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Or if you click on the contact us button on our website, that that comes to me as well. Awesome. Jim, we'll get that stuff uh, put on our show notes as well. Listeners, if you want to get in touch with Jim, leftfieldinvestors dot uh, com has got a podcast as well. And, uh, and, and then of course, click on the show notes, you'll have all that information. So Jim, appreciate it. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you. You too. I, I appreciate you having me on. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. The rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.